Hi, Church Online. My name is Manny, one of the associate pastors here, and thank you for joining us this week, and it's always our heart to see you continue to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If this is your first time here online, please click the Planet Visit button on our homepage and let us know you're here and if there's any way we can serve you. Uh, for Westridge family, uh, go to the contact page and uh, let us know if there's anything we can do, prayer requests, uh, updates, or whatever feedback. Just go ahead and uh, drop us a message there. Uh, I have good news for you. Uh, Pastor John is doing very well, so thank you so much for your prayer. We praise God for that. And also, I'm very thankful for Pastor John uh, and the elders for allowing us to do church online this week as a precaution for the body uh, so that we can all keep our families healthy and give time for God to heal all those that are experiencing symptoms. Because I say thank you to elders and Pastor John because uh, I had a divine encounter this morning uh, coming to the church. Uh, Usually I could drive, but today I just decided to walk. So at the end of the goal drive, I just see a vehicle pull over and say, excuse me, uh, I'm here for the first time. This, I just moved to the area I like to attend. And I just told her, uh, sorry, today uh, you have to join us online. And she said, well, I know you're very, I can see you're busy. You're probably going to the office with your bag, but uh, I can really use prayers, you know. And that's a divine encounter. That's the reason why I say we're so grateful, even we can hold church online, that someone can come and say, I need prayer. I need someone to be there for me and pray for me. So she told me a situation. We pray over a situation, and she felt the peace of God. And she said, thank you, thank you that I, you even stopped by and uh, met with me this morning. So it's so amazing how God put things together for his people. Holy Spirit draw people together for a reason so that his people can experience his peace. So we're very thankful uh, to have church online today. So today, as we continue our series on Proverbs, I'll be looking at the topic of stewardship. Uh, what does it mean to be a steward? Uh, in the ancient world, a steward is a person who did not own the family wealth or the family property or the family possessions. But he was given the charge over distance to make sure that everything ran very well, properly. And in the New Testament, the Greek word for stewardship is oikonomia, O-I-K-O-N-O-M-I-A. And that word oikonomia is made up of two parts. The fourth is the word oikos, which means the word for house in Greek. And the second is the word nomas, which means the word for law in Greek. So the word oikonomia has to do with the law of the house or the rule of the house. How matters in the house are tended to or taken care of. And from that word oikonomia, we derive the English word, as you can all guess, economy which can simply be defined as the careful management of available resources. And in the Bible, we see over 2,000 scripture references uh, to the word stewardship. And Jesus also taught as much on this topic of stewardship than heaven and hell. Because Jesus wants people to be productive. He wants people to be wise. He wants people to be faithful in what God has given to them so that they may increase in what the Lord has entrusted to them. And get this, God loves to look for those who are wise stewards. 
And in fact, Jesus said it best in the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus tells the story of a wealthy man who was going to go on a long journey. And before he went away, he gave his riches to three of his servants. To one servant, he gave five. To one, he gave two. And to the other one, he gave one. And these talents are distributed to this servant according to the knowledge and evaluation of the ability of these servants to handle them. So to whom five was given, he made 100% profit. To whom two was given, he also made 100% profit. But to whom one talent was given, he went and dug a hole in the backyard and buried the talent which was totally unwise and unproductive of him. And Jesus concluded that the moral of the story is this, that those that are good stewards, he will give them more. Those that are wasteful and not wise in this area, he will take from them and give to the wise stewards. But I'm afraid that in our present culture, we have lost a foundational understanding of what stewardship means in the economy of God. But the good news is, We have open access to the wisdom of God through Proverbs to help us with a better understanding and proper application of this principle. So in this area of stewardship, let's watch how God speaks about everything from you, from me, money, talk about it, possession, gifts, and time. Talk about all of that. Okay, let's get after it now so we can get in the books of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 19 says... So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. He takes away the lives of his owners. You see, people with excessive desire for wealth, most of the time, do it at the expense of their well-being. They neglect their health and even relationship, among other things, to the detriment of their life. And in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 10, the Bible says, Honor the Lord with your possessions. And with the first fruits of all your increase. Verse 10 says, So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. You see, one practical test of whether you're trusting the Lord or your own judgment can be found in how you view your possessions and finances. You see, in the ancient agrarian society, the first fruit will have meant the choicest and best portion of the harvest. Today, this means giving to God the first fruit of your paycheck rather than waiting to give after you've paid all the bills because giving to the work of the Lord is so honoring and with how you spend your money shows how much the Lord means to you. And it's a tangible expression of your faith. And it also demonstrates how much you value the Lord as your Savior. And Proverbs chapter 6, verse 1 through 5 says this, My son, if you become surety for your friend, if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you are sneered by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. Verse 3 says, so do this, my son. Deliver yourself, for you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself. Plead with your friend. Verse 4 says, give no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Wives say, deliver yourselves from it, like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter and like a bird from the end of the fowl. Please don't trap yourself into assuming someone else's financial obligation 
Because becoming responsible for someone else's debt without knowing very well how much it may cost you is not a wise thing to do. Of course, this is not an absolute prohibition against co-signing for another person's loan. But given the risk, though, it's always a wise thing to do that we're going to look at the proper understanding of the documents and the stream care so that at the end of the day, if, for example, the person default is not going to ruin your relationship between that person because relationship is most important than money. And in verse 4, Proverbs said, we must understand that laziness has no place among God's people. So as God's people, we are called to be productive in all that we do, wherever we find ourselves. And in Proverbs 11, verse 24 to through 25, the Bible says there is one who scatters and yet increases more. There is one who eats with old more than is right, but it leads to poverty. Verse 25 says the generous soul will be made rich, and he whose waters will also be watered himself. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. You see, our giving reveals who is first in our lives. When we use our money and resources to promote God's agenda, like building up the saint, spreading the gospel, taking care of those in need, God promises blessing, which is the capacity to enjoy and extend his goodness. And please hear me right. It is okay to have riches, but if your wealth has you, that's the problem. You see, the danger is when your wealth has you and becomes more important to you than spiritual things, which means that your wealth has now become your God. And that's the last thing you want to do to replace God with your wealth in the way you conduct your life. Proverbs 13, 11 says this, Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. Once again, God wants us to be productive but not at the expense of others because having well through fraudulent means does not honor God and he hurts people and we know that God loves people. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 18 says this, Poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction, but he who regards a rebuke will be honored. Godly parents don't withhold loving discipline from their children. In fact, the more you love, the more you correct what is wrong and train in what is right. And Proverbs 14.23 says this, In all labor there is profit, but the idle, idle child leads only to poverty. You see, in the battle of values, industrious works always win over mere talk. We cannot just be talking and not doing anything about it. In fact, we even say talk is, talk is cheap, isn't it? Proverbs 15, 16 and 27 says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure without trouble. He who is greedy for gain, he who is greedy for gain troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will leave. You see, it's better to have little through a life of integrity than someone who makes a lot of money by fraudulent means. And you see, to aid is not necessarily a sin thing or sinful. It depends on the object of your hatred. Because we know that God is the plans of the evil one. So as God's people, we're also called to aid the evil thing. 
especially such as bribed, as mentioned in this passage, that causes wicked to make more money. So we have to eat things like that that are evil uh, bribing. Proverbs 17.18 says, A man devoid of understanding shakes hands in a pledge and becomes shorty for his friend. Proverbs is saying that we must understand a divine perspective of life so that we can equip ourselves when we are making decisions that glorify God and bless others. And in Proverbs 18.11, it says, The rich man's wealth is a strong city and like a high wall in his own esteem. The rich person thinks that their wealth is their security and protection. And even Solomon, the richest man in this whole wide world, knows that the only sure refuge in times of tribulations is the Lord. Proverbs 19.4 says this, Wealth makes many friends, but poor is separated from friend. Well, there's nothing wrong with having a lot of friends, but if everyone wants to be your friends because of your money, and that becomes the source and center of your companionship, that's not a wise thing to do. You are not choosing wisely. And Proverbs 19, verse 14 says, Houses and riches are inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. When a kingdom-minded person finds a kingdom-minded woman as a wife, he obtains favor that has eternal value. And same thing for a kingdom-minded woman that finds a kingdom-minded man as a husband. Proverbs 20, 21 says this, An inheritance that is gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Uh, this proverb brings to mind the, the story, the parable of the prodigal son told by Jesus. You know, in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, when Jesus tells the story of this young man who got his early inheritance and traveled to a far, far country, and when he got to this far, far country, he wasted the money lavishly, and he ended up living the pig pen. So the conclusion is when someone unskilled at financial management acquires money quickly, he is likely to lose it quickly unless he seeks the counsel and the wisdom of God and how to go about it. Proverbs 21 verse 6 says this, The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. And verse 16 says, Getting treasure by a lying tongue is the fleeting fantasy of those who seek death. Once again, God expects us to earn our living through honest and diligent labor and not through lying or violence. Because this is a standard for God's people. And there's no way we can compromise that in whatever shape or form. And Proverbs 21, 25 says this, The desire of the lazy man kills him. For his hands refuse to labor. <laughs> we saw this earlier that there is no place for laziness in God's kingdom. Because we are called to be productive. That's what Jesus wants us to do. Uh, so please don't be a slacker. Uh, we'll make excuses to avoid working at all. Proverbs 22 verse 9. It says this. He who has a generous eye will be blessed. For he gives of his bread to the poor. When you sow generosity... You reap a blessing. Giving with a proper heart is fulfilling and truly rewarding. 
because it enriches the kingdom of God. Proverbs 23 verse 4 says, Do not overwork to be rich. Because of your own understanding, cease, which means stop. Please don't try to gain wealth at the expense of your health. Because we know that is a very, very bad thing to do. And Proverbs 28 verse 8 says, One who increases his possessions by usury and extortion gathers it for him who will pity the poor. God has a way of transferring the resources from the wicked to be used for his kingdom purposes. And when you think about it, you remember the story of the children of Israel when God asked them to move from where they are to the land of Canaan because people of Canaan were unrighteous people. They were doing things that were against God's principle. And God asked them to take over the beautiful city of Canaan for God's kingdom and for God's people because God knows how to make those theological transactions in favor of the righteous people to be able to fulfill his plan and purposes for whatever he has chosen to do. And Proverbs verse 30, chapter 30, verse 8 through 9, says this, Remove falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is more like a prayer that alerts us to certain realities that can steal us away or tempt us to stay away from God. So we need to keep our eyes on material things in a proper sense so that we can ask God for what we need so we can keep our focus where it ought to be, which is on Christ. See, about five years ago, I read a book by Jimmy Evans on 10 Steps Towards Christ, in which I found very resourceful and practical the three basic foundations of stewardship. So I would like to share that with you uh, today, because I believe that with it, we can fully know and understand what stewardship means as a child of God. So let's go. Number one, it says... We do not own anything. We do not own anything. And why do I say that? Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. So you see, we have to understand that you and I are just a steward of God. All we have belongs to God. You are not an owner. I'm not an owner. God has given us possessions to manage on his behalf. So you have to, we have to thank him and say, thank you for what you have given me, the relationship you have given me, the job you have given me, the families, the job, all of those things that we receive from God, we thank him and use those resources for his glory and to bless others with them. When we try to claim ownership, that will be a significant error in the grand scheme of things, when it's all said and done. Here's another way to look at it. When we came into this world, we came with nothing. And guess what? When we are leaving this world to transition to heaven, what are we going to take? Nothing. And after living, we will stand in judgment before God and give account how we have stewarded or managed what was his in the first place. 
So a proper understanding of stewardship begins as we surrender everything to God's ownership and recognize ourselves as managers and servants and then living all of life with that awareness. And even though we cannot own, but we have the right to enjoy a life of incredible blessings as God's wise stewards. Number two, the first belongs to God. And if you go back to one of the passages we read earlier in the Proverbs, it says, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 through 10, the Bible says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Verse 10 says, So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And we go to Matthew 6.33, Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. You see, God must be first in our life in real terms, because God deserves the first place in our life. No other person, pursuit, or possession should take his place. Because stewardship, when you think about it, it's not just about money. Because I don't want you to miss that. It's about every areas of our life. So while Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 through 10 speak of the force of our treasure and financial increase given to God, Matthew 6:33 is speaking of our time, our energy, and our talent being given to God first. So true stewardship means giving the first of our time, talents, and treasure to God on a committed and regular basis. Not just once a while or when we feel like it. It has to be on a committed and a regular basis. So when you talk about giving God the first of your time, it means giving him the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Also, giving God the force of your time also means giving him the force of your day to pray and seek his heart. And if you are not a morning person, just give him the best time of your day. Giving the force of your talent means that we serve the Lord using our gifts and ability to serve in our local church and those in need because it's very important that we are contributing to God's work through our gifts and ability. Plus, if we're not doing that, we're denying the body of Christ and those around us of the God-given abilities and talents in our life. Giving God a force of our money means tithes and offering. And tithe means 10% of our incomes to the Lord. Everything after that uh, is called offerings. Number three, stewardship begins by surrendering, surrendering our lives to God. And I like to make reference to what uh, Paul was telling the church at Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 3 through 5, the Bible says, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with urgency that we will receive gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And verse 5 says, And not only as we had hope, but they first gave themselves 
to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. The Apostle Paul wrote this portion of the scripture concerning the churches in Macedonia so that he's telling us how they give generously to an offering uh, that he was collecting for the saints in Jerusalem. He was using their incredible generosity as an example to the church in Corinth. And he concluded by revealing the secrets of their generous giving. He said they first gave themselves to the Lord. You see, successful and true worship cannot happen until we totally surrender our life to God. To say this another way, the time, talents, and treasure that we may give God and really the focus of our stewardship. The focus of our stewardship is a partnership between God and us that includes our entire lives, all areas of our life. And once God has us, he has everything we have. And we will have the proper understanding of stewardship that links our hearts and our life in a practical, dependent, daily walk with the Lord. So as I end today, I ask you to examine yourself after hearing God's heart for worship. How are you stewarding or managing your time, talent, and treasure? Do you take the time to invest in those things that matter most? Things that have eternal value. Remember, Jesus is saying that our use of wisdom and diligence with what he gave us to manage is how we will be judged by him on his return. Because when it's all said and done, I want you to hear from Jesus when you meet him face to face to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Once again, our Father and our God, we need you more than ever before to help us understand these difficult things. And beyond understanding them, Lord, we pray that you please empower us with the grace to embrace them for our lives. And above all, Lord, help us to look at them through the eyes of the scripture and not through the culture so that we are able to use your wisdom and become wise in this world for your sake, for your glory, and for your kingdom. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen.